Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast, Field Note Fridays, powered by Savage Firearms. Better come standard. Over these next five weeks, I am starting up a new series for the greatest time of year, besides Christmas, of course, and turkey season, and probably a couple other things. But we are going to have a rut series that I'm going to dub the rut race. And we are getting none other than Mr. Justin Czar himself from the Bowhunter Die, bowhunting.com crew to talk about this. You know, the man is up there in Rut Haven, if you will. And so he has been around once or twice when it comes to the rut. You know, he's, he's put down a few good deer. And so we're getting him on here just to pick his brain on the different phases of the rut and how he likes to attack those, you know, how he likes to hunt them and just everything encompassing, you know, from aggressiveness, sense, calling, and anything and everything else you can think of under the sun when it comes to the rut. So we're going to get him on here for that. And for this first week, we are going to be talking about the pre-rut because we are in the last few days of October. And it seems like that October lull talk is in the rear mirror now. And so this is that time where we start to get to that magical window leading up to the rut. We're getting closer to Halloween and there's a lot of people that start to put deer down since August in a few part of the nation. And so he's going to get on here and talk to us about the pre-rut, how he likes to attack it, strategies, and more. So I'm not going to ruin that for y'all because I am not as qualified as this man is to talk about this. Yes, I've killed some deer and put some good bucks down on the ground myself, but Justin is way, way more intelligent when it comes to strategizing for this. So again, y'all, I want to thank y'all for tuning in the Hunt Stand Podcast. I'm going to quit blabbering, and let's get right to it for part one of the rut race with Justin Czar. Well, Justin, man, you ready to get this thing rolling? Let's do it, buddy. Well, dude, welcome back to the Hunt Stand Podcast for Field Note Fridays. Appreciate you guys having me. This is exciting. Best time of the year. Oh, heck yeah, man. I think this is, uh, everybody's been looking forward to these next few weeks since, what, the end of turkey season, probably? Yeah, pretty much. And it's crazy. It sneaks up on you. I feel like October 1st was yesterday. You know, I blinked and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like the end of October. It's it's go time. Oh, I felt like I had a little bit of, a little bit of like breathing room, like, okay, things are kind of slow, you know, the whole lull conversation, whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, it's it's here. I better, I better get ready. I better start planning because it's go time. Dude, I know. Question for you. 
do you believe in the October lull? Uh, I don't think the October lull has anything to do with the time of the year per se. Mm -hmm. I think it has more to do with just hunting pressure than anything. Um, I know that, you know, we're all the same, right? We're, we're like caged up animals all oh, year yeah. long and October 1st comes and we get free and we're let out and we're let loose and everybody wants to run out. And whether you're hunting or you're checking trail cameras or you're moving stands mm -hmm. or you're scouting or whatever, like you're putting pressure on those deer. So, I mean, it tends to alter their movement. Obviously, I think there's some biological alteration of what the deer are doing as well. But I certainly don't think there's a lull in terms of like they're less um, movement maybe during during daylight. They may not be moving very far, but they're definitely up and moving and killable. And I think we saw that this year probably more than ever before with some of these cold fronts that hit in early to mid-October. I mean, I've seen, and maybe it's just anecdotal, but I feel like I've seen more big bucks be getting shot here in the last, you know, two weeks, which is oh, yeah. the traditional lull mm -hmm. than, than I've ever seen before. Yeah, it, and it's kind of funny you bring up that cold front. I felt like when when we saw that first cold front come through the nation, it seemed like Instagram just blew up with everybody. It's like, oh, didn't know there was a cold front, but I do now. <laughs> everybody was telling me there was a cold front. Like, I knew there was a cold front. I didn't yeah. need everybody to tell me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's something to it, right? You know, and the, the question has always been, like, whether the cold front actually is putting more deer on their feet or whether because there's a cold front, there's more of us that are actively like taking that little bit of extra time to go out and hunt mm -hmm. where maybe we wouldn't if it was warmer. So the question is like, is it just the cold front or is it the fact that we're more excited about it and we're, there's more, you know, uh, attention being paid to it or is yeah. it maybe a combination of both? I'd have to guess it's probably a, a little combination of both. Yeah. It's like, we say the deer get frisky when that first cool front comes in, but honestly, I think we're the ones that get frisky when it comes yeah, in. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? I think you got all these GPS collar deer studies out there yeah. that have kind of debunked a lot of what we think as hunters, mm -hmm. but it's like, we don't want to pay attention to it. We just like turn a blind eye. Like, no, that doesn't exist. That though, that's science isn't uh, a no. thing. We're it, going hunting because it's cold out. I, I guess the best way to put it is these cool fronts is kind of like a pumpkin spice latte season for women out there. And hopefully I don't. <laughs> hey now, Hey now, I like a little pumpkin spice latte every now and again. Yeah. Don't judge me. I'm not going to lie. We got a nutrition place uh, here in our hometown that as soon as I get done working out, uh, they've got a pumpkin pie, iced coffee, protein shake that I've been getting for about the past month every day. Yeah. See, see, so, we're in good company here. Yeah. It's okay. This is a safe space. At least my house doesn't have the pumpkin, uh, pumpkin, uh, candles yet. So <laughs> we're not well, a big candle family. So my house probably just smells like my dog more than anything. Or smells like a two year old. <laughs> so yeah. Well, man, these next five weeks, we're going to break down for a five part series for all of our listeners out there for Field Up Fridays. And we're going to be talking about the rut. And so I want to pick your brain on. Essentially, each week, you know, we're we're getting into that pre-rut phase right now. It's er, or not, it's it's late October, so this is that time that you know we talked a little bit before the podcast that you're really getting excited that you've had more luck, more success. We'll talk that you know beginning week, two weeks of November, and then the tail end of it. And so, I want to just pick your brain on how you like to attack each week. Essentially, if you're going out, are you paying attention to cameras? Just really, just wanting to find out from you. Because uh, I know last year we did a podcast that it was uh, 
not overthinking the rut, you know? Sure. Uh, a lot of people. Well, and I think that still holds true. And I think a lot of us yeah. tend to overthink things probably because of trail cameras and cell cameras. Like, don't get oh. me wrong. I love my cell cameras as much as everybody else does. Yes. But man, can they really mess with your head if you let them? Dude. You know, you just have to understand that that data that you're seeing is such a small, minute piece of data that like, and it can, it can, that pendulum can swing both ways. Mm -hmm. It can make you do things you shouldn't be doing based on that data, but it can also prevent you from doing things that you should be doing. Maybe hunting an area of your farm where you're like, oh man, I haven't had a picture of a deer over there in X, Y, Z number of days or whatever. I'm not going to go over there because there's no activity. And the, in reality, there's plenty of activity. It just happens to not be in front of where your camera is at. I try to tell this to myself a lot, especially when I go on hunts where I can see one of my cameras, which is mm -hmm. pretty regularly nowadays. Like if I'm out hunting somewhere, I've got a camera within eye visual distance of wherever I may be hunting. It may be 30 yards in front of me on a scrape. It may be 200 yards across a field. It doesn't matter. I tell this to myself when I go out, I'll go out in a night and I'll see four deer, six deer, eight deer, 10 deer, however many I'm going to see in that night. No. And I try to keep track of how many of those deer that I saw moving around went in front of my camera that night or that morning. And more often than not, the vast majority of them never went in front of my camera. So it's easy if you're only going by camera data to say, oh man, it was dead tonight. There's nothing out here. Mm -hmm. You know, good thing I didn't go hunt tonight. There's nothing on my camera. When in reality, there was deer all over the place. They just weren't in that one very small particular spot at that point in time. So for me, it, it's all about trying not to rely too heavily on yes. that data and trying to make decisions that, that you believe are the correct decisions based on other factors, right? And a lot of that is previous year's history, crop rotation, mm -hmm. scouting that you did in the spring, maybe scouting or sign that you're seeing during your hunts in the fall. There's a lot of other pieces of intel that should go into deciding where and when and how to hunt rather than just trail cameras and it's easy to fall back on yes only trail camera data you know and it's i i'm glad you brought this up because i actually um inadvertently and unknowingly did uh, my own i guess you could call it trail camera study i had a forked trail that we found on our property i set a hang up or i did a hang on stand up there and I set a cell camera that I thought was pointing to the more heavily trafficked uh, trail that we had it set up on. So I'm like, you know what? This is going to be a perfect. I'm going to catch all these deer walking by my stand. But what I did, I was like, you know what? I set up an SD cam on the other fork of it. And so I'd get a couple of pictures, like maybe two or three at night of, you know, a young buck, maybe a doe going by or something. It's like, man... They're just not using that trail. Well, I went and pulled that SD card about two weeks ago, and I had thousands of images on there, and I had shooter bucks walking by this thing sure. early morning, midday, late day, and I'm just like, wow. Uh, if I wouldn't have had that there, I probably would have made decisions to not ever sit in the stand this upcoming year. Now I have a different game plan looking at November for this, this yeah. certain area. Yeah, so. it is. It's it's crazy. And like I said, it's easy to fall into that trap, man. Mm -hmm. it, we've all fallen into it, myself included, you know, trying to decide where I'm going to go based on trail camera data. 
you know, I look at my, my son shot a, a buck, a little buck here a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I saw that. And, you know, that I think we saw six or seven deer that night and not one of them walked in front of our trail camera. Yeah. And and every one of those deer just about was within bow range of our of our blind. So it's like, man, it's just it's it's difficult sometimes to mm-hmm. not let that affect you. So, yeah, for me, you know, as we head into the I think that this later part of October, I think the trail cameras for a lot of guys, you know, they're looking for deer to start daylighting on their cameras before mm-hmm. they go in. And the the big thing that I've said with trail cameras that they can hurt you is if you're just going based on trail camera data, you're behind the deer. You got to be in front of them. Yeah. You got to be there before the deer gets there. Once the deer's there in daylight and then he's gone, doesn't mean he's coming back. Mm-hmm. Like you need to be able to predict they're going to be in here at some point in time. And, and you know, that's based on other factors other than just trail camera data. Um, and then you got to get in there and, and try to get them killed. That's true, man. And uh, I will say that, yeah, talking about how, the cell, the whole cell cam and even SD cam thing, like it, it can really just screw with your head. But at the same time, uh, it actually helped us get my deer in Kansas back in September and helped us, you know, this is, I guess you could say this is the positive bonus side of it is it helped us better formulate a game plan because early season, their food, water, bed. And uh, we had seen that he was coming into a watering hole right at last light. So he was the only consistent buck leading up to the hunt that we snuck in there and got an arrow through him so it works for that yeah there's no doubt it's a double-edged sword it can be the greatest thing in the world and then it can be the worst thing in the world and in those specific scenarios if you know if you happen to get a trail camera put into a spot this time of year Mm -hmm. let's talk we're going into late october you go out and you find a fresh you know big community scrape you put a, a camera on it and you get a buck daylighting or close to daylighting multiple times on that scrape you know, a couple different things are going to happen. Number one, you know that he's probably close. Yeah. If, if they're daylight or close to daylight, because they're just not traveling super, super far right now. So you know that he's close and you know that as we get later into October, that daylight movement is going to increase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can happen to get a camera in the right spot, it can 100% tell you like, yes, this, this is where I need to be. Big time. But again, at the same time, you know, I've seen spots where I have two scrapes similar to your trail thing. You got two scrapes on the same food plot. One of them, you put a camera on, it's got nothing. Put a camera on the other one, all the big bucks are over there. And yep. they might only be 30 yards apart. Yeah. And, you know, so it's just careful not to to let trail cameras ruin your decision making. Yes. Um, especially this time of year. But yeah, they can be an awesome tool for, you know, if, if, if a buck is starting to daylight, specifically on scrapes. That's where mm-hmm. I focus a lot of my attention here. And I think a lot of guys do near the end of October. Cause it seems like when these bucks get up out of their bed at night, start roaming around, they're going to hit scrapes somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I used the story that I, I hunted last night. I had a South wind for the first time in a while. I had four different stands to pick from. I went to one of them. The other three had bucks, maybe not all shooter bucks, but three and a half year old or older deer that I would have liked to at least see last night. Uh, the other three have trail cameras, if not right in front of them, close enough to where I would have been able to see these deer. Two of the three of them were on scrapes last night, right at last light. Dang. So that's just what they're doing. It is. And you know, the whole trail cam thing, uh, I've done a podcast with Bill Winky and he does not run cell cams. And because he's probably smart. It is. And it's made me think about it. And it's actually why I've started running a few more SD cams this year, because I find that cell cams almost make you, they cloud your judgment at times. And 
he likes the fact of just being able to go in. He still loves, you know, ch- you know the the Christmas morning feel of going in and pulling that SD card, and then right. just seeing all the images and you know doing that whole game, and then you formulate a game plan from that information where it's like. Two nights ago, I got an inf- I got a cell cam notification of a buck never seen, huge shooter, and I'm like, I need. I'm trying to figure out like I need to go in there, I need to go in there, but that's the only time I've ever seen him since the summer. Yep. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there is something to be said for it. For me, again, I think there's specific scenarios that the cell cameras can really be a benefit. Big time. I think some. I think some of the cell cam kind of haters out there mm-hmm. give give the cell cams way too much credit for killing a lot of deer again it can it work in the perfect scenario heck yeah it can work got a picture of this buck going back into his bed quote unquote this morning and i went in there and killed him coming out tonight that's what everybody thinks is going to happen way harder to do in real life than people make it sound like big time Um, for me i love using historical trail camera data and i've heard guys talk about this in the past a lot of times i'll put those regular sd card cameras out there and I'll let them run the whole year without checking them. Yeah. Because I don't, I'm not really looking for immediate, you know, information to help me kill a deer. Now, what I want to do is try to get a bigger picture of how and when these deer are using this area through the course of the season. Are they more active early season versus late season morning versus evening? And I'm trying to just get a general pattern because it seems like to me, it doesn't really change from year to year. The deer may change. A buck may come, a buck may go, get killed, be replaced by a different deer. But generally speaking, it seems like certain areas, those patterns kind of hold true year after year after year. And that's what I'm using as a lot of my data, specifically for this, again, mid to late October. Mm -hmm. I'm looking back historically, like which areas of the farm did I start seeing daylight activity of bigger bucks in October on scrapes? Where were they at? They may be in areas where I don't get pictures of any bucks all summer long. And I may not be getting any pictures right now, but I know from historical data, they're going to be there this time of year. They're they're going to be there. So rather than waiting for a picture and then going in and try to kill them when I'm behind them, I start hunting those areas now because I want to be there that first time that buck shows yeah. up on that scrape. I don't want to have to wait and then guess what night he's going to be there or not be there. I'm just going to go in and, and just know and have some faith that they're going to show up. Yeah. See, I've, I've got an area just like that here in Texas that, uh, you know, we put some cameras up and, you know, my dad has just started hunting on this piece of property with us and I've been out there for seven years. So I have a really good idea of what these deer do and how they act, you know, having that historical data and experiences. And we've had a camera out there since I think June or July. And he's like, man, there's just not any buck showing up. Like, I don't want to hunt there. You know, that's not going to be a good spot. We need to figure it out. I said, no, I said, just wait. I promise. Soon as that first week of November gets here, you sit there. This is a major funnel intersection, whatever you want to call it, that somebody's going to kill a deer here. I guarantee you. And uh, it happened last year, and now I'm sure. reconvincing him. So <laughs> it'll be cool to see. But uh, that that leads me into what I want to talk about with you, and that's these five weeks, this five part. And so for this first part, you know, we're getting into that last, you know, 10, 12 days of October. And you kind of spoke on it earlier that you've had a lot of success this time of year. And that's your traditional pre-rut phase for most of the country. So when it comes to Justin Czar going out in the woods for this time, what's your approach for right now? 
Yeah, like I said earlier, I still feel like the Bucks aren't traveling super far during daylight, but they are getting up out of their mm -hmm. beds seemingly earlier and earlier and earlier as the days go by. So I still feel like you got to be somewhat close to where a buck is is betting. So you're not really abandoning the same tactics that you may have been using early in October. Yeah. The nice thing is you may not have to be as tight to them as you were in early October. You know, you hear a lot of guys, you know, mm -hmm. sneaking in and wanting to be under 100 yards from where they think a buck is bedded. I think bucks are moving significantly more than that, but they're not going a mile. They may be going a couple hundred yards. They may be coming out to a field. They're still feeding. You know, I'm still seeing a lot of these bucks coming out into fields at night and they may walk around, try to check a doe if there's one out there. They're making scrapes. They're starting to push the younger bucks around a little bit, but they're mm -hmm. not covering tons and tons of ground. So again, I think back to some of that scouting that you did in the spring, where are these bucks living? You know, yeah, using trail cameras to figure out which fields they may be feeding in at night and coming out to, because I think you're going to start seeing them in fields a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but again, for me, it's trying to get close to where they're bedding, figure out where those active scrapes are at. And I really do like hunting uh, over big active scrapes or very close to them this time of year. That's probably my preferred tactic, I would say. And then on the flip side of that, you could do the same thing on a morning hunt, mm -hmm. right? Getting into those bedding areas, getting tight in there. Those bucks are generally going to be on their feet for, you know, let's say a half hour or an hour at this point in, in the mornings, maybe even a little bit longer in certain cases. So there's definitely an opportunity. They're taking a little bit longer to get back into bed in the morning you know, freshening up scrapes, you know, speaking of spray scrapes, um, I still have always believed that one of the best times to hunt them is after a front, after it's rained. seems like the bucks always want to go freshen those scrapes up after a front moves through. So if you can have the the flexibility to know that like, Hey, there's a big scrape over here. I got the right wind, a front moved through maybe mm -hmm. last night or whatever. Like those for me, uh, are the top areas that I'm going to concentrate on right now. I am going to do a little bit of calling. I'm not going to be super aggressive with it, but I will do, I'll start doing a little bit of blind rattling Yeah. Uh, this time of year. Again, not super aggressive with it. Um, I think you could be if you wanted to, it's just for me, I'll get a little bit more aggressive maybe next week. Um, but for right now, usually, you know, maybe once that sun goes down over the, the treetops, I might, you know, tickle the antlers together a little bit. Uh, if I think that there's a buck somewhat nearby um, and I'm trying to, you know, lure him in to investigate. So I think calling can certainly have some merit. Uh, I probably won't decoy quite yet, maybe another week on that. Um, but yeah, those are my my main tactics for this time of year. And, you know, I've, not just me, but I mean, I Todd and a bunch of the other guys on our team, like usually sometime right around the 15th to the 20th is mm -hmm. when we really start seeing bucks, you know, on their feet that last hour or so of daylight. And they become a lot more killable. Big time. So you would probably approach this year and you kind of touched on it a, uh, a second ago you, you touched on this but uh you would probably approach this time uh not quite as aggressive as you would say later on yeah for sure i mean i'm hunting a lot of probably field edges mm -hmm. still right now um if i have a beat on where i believe a deer is at you know again back to that cell camera situation if i yeah. think i know where one's at based on some 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 sort of data whether it's a sighting in person or a camera picture at a certain time of day, like I may get a little bit more aggressive. Um, but otherwise, like, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be maybe within 150, 200 yards of where I believe those deer are going to be bedded, hopefully field edge. 
the nice thing about the field edges this time of year is you, you do get a little bit of extra light. There's still a lot of uh, leaves on the trees yeah. and foliage here. So, I mean, it's getting dark in the woods a lot earlier than it is out on those field edges. You're probably picking up 10 minutes of light, you know, being out on a field edge. That seems to be where a lot of the, the scrapes are going to obviously open up. Mm -hmm. um, so that's mostly where, you know, food plots, field edges, things like that. Uh, if, if I can, uh, on that particular piece of property, sometimes you just don't have that and you've got to, you know, be in the timber. Um, so you got to do what you got to do and just make the best of whatever your situation happens to be. What about, uh, you talked on that. We actually talked on this before the podcast. Uh, let's say right now you get that midday image of a buck. You get that notification on your phone. You might have an afternoon off from work. Uh, traditionally right now, that image, I feel like a lot of people might misinterpret. Uh, they might think, oh man, these bucks are getting up on their feet and the rut's starting. I need to go sure. get on the stand. But you made a note on that a little bit ago and uh, I want you to talk on that and maybe uh, how you might approach a hunt for that buck if you see that image. Sure. To me, that just means that buck is bedded very, very close by. I mean, it's super common for a deer to get up, feed around a little bit during the day, move 100 yards maybe, reposition on the other side of the hill or mm -hmm. get out of the sun or into the sun, depending on the weather, whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, I've had a couple, you know, daylight pictures of some, some shooter bucks on one of my farms here recently. But again, like I know that historically they're usually bedded fairly close, close by anyways. So that just confirmed for me, like, okay, this, this deer is right in there. And I think you just, on those situations, at least from what I've seen, it's like, it seems like you like, oh man, this buck is up. He's on this scrape. It's 11 o'clock. I know he's bedded somewhere close by when he gets up tonight, he's going to hit it again on his way to wherever he's going. Never seems to work that way. At no. least for me again, that's the chasing behind him type of thing. Yeah. You know, and then you just get, you got to be careful because he's close somewhere in there. And if you try to get in too close and you bump him, then you kind of just ruined your hunt for the night. So, um, if I had the opportunity to go in there and I know that he's close, and I have the ability to set up, you know, somewhere on the downwind side of where I believe he's betting. I may not try to go like, let's say, to the scrape that I got the picture of him on at noon. Right. I try to hang back a little bit. And that's when I'm going to probably do a little bit of calling before dark. Because that's the type of situation where you know he's within earshot. Yeah. Peaking you know? his interest. Yeah. And so I'm going to call a little bit, you know, and just see if you can't lure him out, you know, somewhere. Again, like you could try to get aggressive and being aggressive is great. And it's a great way to kill deer, but we all know you're playing with fire. You go a little bit too far. You try to push in there, those yeah. few extra yards and, and you blow them out. So it's trying to find that delicate balance between, you know, how close do I need to be and, and how close is good enough. Do you feel like in that situation, uh, what would you feel would be a better time to go after that buck morning say trying to get in front of him before he gets to that scrape or like you talked about afternoon trying to find out where he's going from that scrape to say food yeah. plot or something. I mean, if I had to pick, I would go in that day, that afternoon. Gotcha. Just because I know that he's there. The problem is, you know, I think there's a misconception that bucks bed in the same place every day. And mm -hmm. then like, if you get him there one day, he's going to be there tomorrow. Like they don't. You know, they're going to move around, you know, they may move completely to the other side of the farm the next day. I mean, so it's like, again, that's the chasing behind him type thing. Like, yeah, he was there yesterday. It doesn't mean he's going to be there today. And I mean, I'm, I'm perfect proof of that. I mean, so we had this, this cold front and a guy that I hunt my lease with, uh, it's just him and I, 
he was like, Hey man, you know, where, where should I sit? And I said, Hey, there's been daylight activity shooter box on this scrape right in front of one of these stands, you know, three out of the last four days. Yeah. Like something's going to move through there. So he hunted it on Friday afternoon, saw a couple does. Came back on Saturday afternoon. Still, same wind, good access. Like, you're not going to burn the stand. Gets in there, sees one little buck, you know, and then couldn't hunt Sunday night. And one of the shooters showed up in daylight on Sunday night. (laughs) You know, so he was was like, you know, that was the deal of like, they'd been there all the time, but but I'm kind of behind them now. Now they're not there for a couple days. Then you get deflated and you leave. And then they're there the day that you're not Mm -hmm. there. So... Man, it's a big guessing game sometimes. It really is, and it's so hard to have that forward thinking or thinking in front of that buck per se, trying to calculate and guess what. Well, he's it's be because doing. of the trail cameras. Yeah, it's because we're waiting for confirmation from our camera to tell us it's okay or that it's mm-hmm. time. When in the old days, when we didn't have cell cameras, we just had to know when the right time was, and we had to trust our gut and go with that. And and I think that led to us doing things that were probably allowing us to get in front of the deer rather than chasing behind them. Yeah. I mean, it's like I talk, talked about earlier. Uh, cell cams have definitely clouded my thinking when it comes to deer hunting <laughs> on my property, for sure. I'm impressed with Bill not running cell cams. Like, think about the, you know, the position that Bill's in in his life and the resources and like he's got every resource and ability mm-hmm. in the world to run as many cell cameras as he wants. Oh, yeah. And to have the the self-control to say no. Right. I mean, that's impressive in today's world because you don't know a whole lot of folks in that position that that aren't stacking cell cameras up on every other tree. It's he's got the, he's got that old school mentality with it. And I love that and appreciate it because. You know, like I told you, I, I've gone out and thrown a couple of SD cams, and I've actually found myself, uh, when it gets to a certain part of the deer season, even during the summertime, when I've got cams up, I'm just like, oh, man, i got to scroll through all these. And I hate that. But when I put these SD cams up, and I had a really windy day. It was kind of one of those post-front days, and it was just nasty windy. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this day to go sneak into that area and pull that SD card. I've had it up for about a month now, and I want to check it. And I found myself like getting giddy like that Christmas morning <laughs> feeling again. I'm like, man, I might need to set all these up on the place again. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so it, I'm so terrible. I don't think I have a non-cell camera in the woods currently. I'm not sure I've deployed one anywhere this year. Dude, I and if I have, I forgot it. where it's at, and I'll find it in shed season. Oh, try it, man. Try it. Uh, it's kind of cool to get back to our roots, per se. But, yeah, uh, yeah, no doubt. So when it comes to this pre-rut timing, uh, is there any other thing that we maybe haven't discussed in terms of, you know, this time essentially leading up to, uh, what, what's that magic number? Would you say like November 7th? As like the peak peak of the rut type of thing, like as we build towards whatever this magic day is in the future. Yeah. I think a lot of guys like that seventh, you know, is kind of the magic day. Mm -hmm. And then we feel like maybe it plateaus and then starts to wane a little bit after that. You know, for me, like we were talking before we started recording today, like this last, you know, trying to think of all the the bucks that I've killed. I'd say like the last 10 days of October have been some of my most productive times to be in the woods. Um, So this is really when I'm going to focus, you know, a lot of my efforts and energies on on trying to be in in the spots that I had to uh, have a little bit of self-control to not hunt too early. Oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and not put pressure on them and not burn them out. 
Uh, Cause it's hard, especially when you get that first cold front, like we talked about in October. So hard, you know, and I want to dive in there and start hunting some of my better spots. And, you know, you just don't realize that even if you don't see a deer or spook a deer on your hunt, you are leaving scent behind every time mm-hmm. you go in, every time you go out. Um, it puts pressure on there, whether you think it is or not. And so, again, that's back to the lull. Like, does is the lull a thing? Maybe biologically there's a small piece of it. But more than anything, it's probably the fact that we're all out running around the woods like a bunch of idiots, you know, through most of October. Yeah. And we're putting pressure on and we're affecting deer movement. So for me, I try to to save some of those better spots, temper myself, wait for the time to truly be right, really be right, and then you know move in, um, and and try to go for the kill then. So that's that's kind of my plan for the next couple of weeks. Like I said, this this part of October, I still per- prefer evening hunts, although I have killed mornings. Um, mornings, I would say maybe like the twenty fifth moving forward i've had better luck in the mornings but i I Mm -hmm. killed a good one on october 18th one year so it's not like it can't be done um again for me a lot of my hunts are like leaving work early and hunting the the evening yeah harder to hunt the mornings during the week for me so maybe it's just a product of i hunt more evenings than mornings so that's true so probably the best thing to to leave at that is just having the patience uh and not blowing up your spots it's hard to do, it is. right? I mean, it really is, especially, like I said, you get that first cold front and you're like, oh, perfect. They're going to be mm-hmm. moving. I got to go. I know I told myself I wasn't, but I'm going to go anyways. I've been guilty of that quite a few times. So this year I've I've managed to, I guess you could say some of it's been self-control. Some of it's just been my kids have had too many activities and birthday parties and sporting events and it's kept me out of the woods. Yeah. And that's probably a good thing. I'm I'm waiting for that. We got a. Th- she's turning three actually, uh, today Friday, and oh, uh, nice. so uh, it'll be interesting to see what sports she gets involved in and how much it takes away from me being able to go out and sneak out and do that stuff. But that's okay. Yeah, uh, football's the big one that's cutting into my uh, my hunting time. The fall sports, baseball is uh, easy. Right? Yeah, baseball is like easy. Spring it's, and summer. Yeah, fall baseball is kind of like you don't really have as the parent i don't really have to be there it's kind of like you know not not as important but football games i think we got our last one this weekend and then we go into the playoffs. so yeah we'll see what happens but fortunately for me um you know i'm in a position here where i get to sneak out for some of those evening during the week hunts mm-hmm. that you know unfortunately not everyone else has that opportunity you know and that's what a lot of what hunting comes down to is being able to capitalize on those opportunities being able to look at you know, we talk about these cold fronts. That first one that hit happened to be over a weekend, at least here in most of the Midwest. So yeah. it was great. But when that, you know, front moves through on a Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday are the days to be in the woods. Not everybody can just bail out of work early it's and go tough. do that. It's tough. Especially, I mean, like, I mean, technically we can sometimes classify it as work. Uh, yeah. Well, that's how I justify it to my wife. Well, yeah, course. that's hey, no, that's the thing I love here. about, you know, the, the career I have now, like before it was like, hey uh can i go hunting this weekend kind of deal and she'd be like well we got this this or yes or no whatever it is and now it's like hey i've got to go film an episode um i need to be out there i can do there's nothing i can do (laughs) josh said i have to be out there now (laughs) that's what i do do hey todd says we got to go do this thing he's making me go to wyoming for a week sorry i know and i'm hating i'm hating secretly like trying to play it off like you're not super excited that you get to go hunting you know, oh i'm so guilty of that man <laughs> so guilty of that man 
Hopefully our wives don't listen to this. Then the, the jig is up. I don't think she will because I can say this. Uh, I got an invite to go to Kentucky, and uh, it was kind of like last minute. So going to be going to Kentucky with Josh Honeycutt. Uh, I think it's like December 11th through the 17th. So the other night I was like, hey, I got invited on this hunt. Uh, I've got to go and film it for work. And she's like, really? <laughs> I was like, yeah. You know, you kind of like, yeah, I know it's close to Christmas, but uh, – Probably gonna have a really good chance at a buck, and it's gonna be filming it for work, so gotta go. Hey, it is what it is. The perks of our chosen profession. You yes. got to enjoy it while you can, my man. Absolutely. Well, man, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up kind of the the pre rut phase, if you will. You know, this you know essentially moving into that November time period, depending on what part of the nation you're in. You know, if you're in Florida, sure. in certain parts of Florida, this conversation probably needs to be had in like June, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. Oh, I know. Their their rut phases are insane. It's kind of like South Texas for us, like deep South Texas. All right, y'all. There you go. That is an into part one. And next week, we're going to get into more of this. But again, y'all, we just want to thank y'all for tuning in this week's episode, Field Note Fridays, powered by Savage Firearms. If you haven't yet, make sure you download the HuntStand app. You got free, pro, and if you want to unlock all the features of HuntStand, upgrade to Pro Whitetail. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv